0: Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
1: Pittsburgh Steeler fans, welcome once again to the Retro Show. It's the show where Brian Anthony Davis, that's me, Tony Julius Steffio that's him hey Tony hey man what's going on yes what do we do in this show we go back in time and this time Tony we are going back to an era when the DeLorean was brand new because that movie just came out Tony I'm doing well I hope you're doing well as well this is going to be a fun time it's not a celebrated era for the Steelers but it felt good to
2: you and me didn't it it sure did. This is the, uh, my, my form of the years as a fan. Ten years older than us, you got to experience the Super Bowl years, whereas we got to experience a little bit of rebuilding and, tr- and transition, and, and this was part of that. And this was actually a very interesting
1: Pittsburgh Steeler team that we're going to talk about because they were just coming off of a season where they went 9-7 and seven, but ended up in the AFC Championship game where they lost to the Miami Dolphins. It was a really fun time. Very interesting team. Didn't start off too well. They started off the season at four and five. They were having a chance to get to 500, not only, and stay on top of the AFC Central. And we'll talk about that in a second. But let's give the date here. We are going back to a time when the number one song was from one of the hottest TV shows in the land. It was an instrumental Tony, how much do you remember Jan Hammer?
2: Wow, it, it was an instrumental. It was all keyboard, right? Like synthesizer. Pfizer, I can't say that word. Yep. Yeah. Okay. I remember that song. Yeah. Wow. I forgot the, about that. The theme from uh, Beverly Hills Cop.
1: Nope. Uh. That's that's Harold Faltemeyer. Oh, Axel okay. F. But that was 1985 as well. No, Tony, come on. Could you imagine you and I in silk suits, T-shirts, and No socks on (laughs) doing the beat in Miami,
2: (gasps) Miami vice. Yes. That that seems like a show you would have loved. I did. I did love it. Oh man. I haven't seen that show since the eighties. That's probably the problem. I haven't gone back and watched it again. I I need to absolutely great show. And not a lot of people
1: realize that Sonny Crockett, the character played by Don Johnson was a wide receiver at the university of Florida. He was a Florida Gator.
2: I'm one of those people who did not know that until just now. That's uh, that's pretty solid uh, information. That's a good nugget. Thanks. So there you go. We talked about one of the hottest movies at the time. It was the hottest movie of the
1: summer. It was Back to the Future. And that's where we all found out about a DeLorean. But the number one movie at the time was in a crime franchise. It was a movie named after what would happen if I ate my mother-in-law's cooking. It was Charles Bronson in Death Wish
2: 3. (laughs) My grandfather loved Charles Bronson because he found out somehow, I don't know how, but he found out that he was Polish. And my grandfather was Polish. And anybody that was Polish, he he was a big fan of. So he he really loved those movies. Do you know where Charles Bronson hailed from, Tony? I want to say it was somewhere in Pennsylvania. is Is that accurate? Yes, Charles Bronson was from Ehrenfeld, Pennsylvania, so he was a Western PA guy. Kind of sounds familiar, now not the, not the name of the city, but the fact that he was from Western PA, but I, I never knew the town.
1: Charles Bronson was probably one of the great tough guys ever in the movies.
2: He was, he was. He, he, he had that persona that you never, you never messed with him. There was no doubt that who was the alpha male in any scene that he was in. So let's just get
1: into this game, Tony. The Steelers came into this road contest, well... Depending who you ask, it was a four-way tie in the AFC Central for either first or last place. They were all at four and five. So the Steelers, the Browns, the Bengals, and the Houston Oilers sitting at four and five, something had to break. Well, the Chiefs were sharing the city with the newly minted World Series champion, the Kansas City Royals, who had a stunning seven-game series win, over the St. Louis Cardinals in the Battle of Missouri. Well, here we go. The Chiefs started off three and one, but a five-game losing streak had Casey reeling and needing a win against a team led by the number three defense in the league, including being number one against the pass. That's how good this defense was back then, Tony Defeo. To make matters worse for the home team, They lost all pro defensive end Art Still and wide out Henry Marshall for the season in the previous week's game. That Steelers defense was really mega tough, Tony.
2: Yeah, we don't give that defense a lot of credit in that era, but they were really good. They were good in the previous years leading up to 85. And and as you said, coming into this game, they had the number three defense overall and number one against the run. And they had a really good squad, a promising young defense. And it was exciting to watch. On this drizzly 39-degree
1: afternoon, Gary Anderson would kick off the ball to the red-clad home team. Out comes veteran Bill Kenny, who was a draft pick of the Miami Dolphins. And Marv Albert in the booth, along with Bob Greasy, reminded us of that because Bob Greasy was a Super Bowl champion with the Miami Dolphins. And Bob Greasy remembered Kenny in training camp. So Kenny goes immediately deep to Stephon Page. He had to slow down to catch the ball in front of the much maligned Harvey Clayton. Page, however, he was out of bounds after Kenny was hurried by the great Keith Willis. Number nine then threw incomplete to Anthony Hancock, who was covered well by Rick Woods, who was subbing for an injured Dwayne Woodruff, one of the great holdovers from that 1979 Super Bowl team so Casey had to punt and that was the result the Steelers were going to get the ball but that defense came out harassing Bill Kenny Keith Willis is a guy that you don't realize is in the top five all time I believe he's still number four in sacks for the Steelers he is a
2: great player number 93 Tony he certainly is, and, and, and he was an undrafted free agent out of Northeastern in 82, and he just he made his way under the roster, and he wound up having a much better career than Keith Gary, the other Keith, who was drafted in the first round the year before. So, yeah, Keith Willis, one of the unsung heroes of the 1980s. After a short return by
1: the league's leading punt returner, Lewis Lips, yeah, he was doing it back then, David Woodley, another guy who was drafted by the Miami Dolphins, So we have Miami Vice being the number one song. Hmm. You have former Miami Dolphin quarterbacks. You've got a Miami Dolphin quarterback in the booth. But David Woodley comes out and leads the Steelers out of the huddle. And he's subbing for Mark Malone. Mark Malone was home injured. What happened to Mark Malone the week before?
2: He suffered a concussion.
1: I was not a Mark Malone fan. I, I really wasn't, Tony. He had an arrogance about him. The Steelers really lacked from a true number one quarterback in the 1980s, something we're going to talk about a whole lot later in the show, but I was really rooting for David Woodley and those guys went back and forth all season long here, man.
2: They did. Yeah, the quarterback position was in flux uh, all throughout the 85 campaign and that's The problem, when you don't have stability at that position, it could really affect the franchise. And that's what we were seeing up to this point in the season. So the Steelers also came out with an all-Baylor backfield of Walter Abercrombie and Frank
1: Pollard. And they combined for a first down on the initial three plays on the ground. But on a third and seven near midfield, the Chiefs blitzed up the middle, with Greg Hill and Mark Robinson, who just subbed in as defensive backs, and the league leader with five interceptions, a man named Deron Cherry, number 20. This guy was fantastic, an all-pro. I had him in my sticker book, so I knew who this guy was. He stepped in front of John Stallworth,
2: and what's he do, Tony? He picks it off and takes it all the way back for a touchdown, 47 yards. And just like that, the home team is up 7 nothing. Talk about a stunner in the beginning. And you're right, Duron Cherry, he was one of the premier cornerbacks of his day. So, yeah, he was no stranger to big plays. And they lost a guy named Gary Barbaro to the USFL. Gary Barbaro
1: was a great defensive back for him. And Duron Cherry comes in and says, hey, no problem, guys. I've got this. In the stands, in a private booth, there were some guys celebrating, guys that wore Royal blue hats, light blue jerseys, the Kansas City Royals, Brett Saberhagen, George Brett, guys like that were celebrating as the Chiefs took a 7-0 lead on the Steelers. It was the third interception return for a score against the Steelers in 1985 at that point. And like I said, this was game number 10, so that's not too good. After a Todd Spencer return to the 30-yard line, Out comes the Steelers once again, and they return to the ground, but to not much avail. On a third down in a passing situation, Woodley threw an absolute beautiful strike over the middle to the league-leading receiver, and that was the veteran John Stallworth, for a 33-yard gain in front of another very good chief defender, Albert Lewis. After a completion for 15 yards to Stallworth, Woodley had the black and gold at the Kansas City 17. After running play, the duo said, hey, guys, we're not done. Woodley, Stalworth, let's do it again. And they absolutely did. It was another 15-yarder to number 82 to tie the score at seven. But there was a nervous moment. John Stallworth
2: was lying on the field in the back of the end zone, Tony. What happened? As like you said, it was a, it was a beautiful play on both ends, a great pass by Woodley and a great catch by Starworth who, out, who stretched out and caught it and landed on his knee and in the back of the end zone. The problem was, while landing on his knee, he sprained his knee in, in anxious moments.
1: To follow, the Boo Birds came out as Bill Kenny continued to struggle and the Chiefs punted again. With good field position, the visitors came out with John Starworth, injured knee and all, coming out to play, and he would not take the rest of the day off. You'll find out what he did later on so he seemed to be okay but there was a problem another guy who had an injured knee all season long missed the first five games of the year he was another former first round draft pick from 1976 it was Benny Cunningham and he hobbled off the field and he was gone for the rest of the day That's leaving the team with only one tight end now in Preston Gothard, a guy who was not known much as a receiver. So, Tony, they were losing guys at the tight end position, but they had some great receivers. They would pay dividends later on in this game. So here comes the Steelers trying to get back on the board again, despite a 17-yard pickup by Abercrombie and a juggling first down by Number 24, Rich Ehrenberg, an unsung hero of the teams of that day. The drive stalled. Here comes the struggling Gary Anderson. Tony, he wasn't doing so well in 1985 at this point.
2: He was not. Up to this point in the game, he was doing his best Roy Jarella impression. He came into the game 12 for 20, which is so unlike him. He was One of the premier kickers of, of his day, one of the most accurate of all time in this era.
1: But he did hit from 35 yards out, so the Steelers took a lead, 10-7, to with 113 left in the first period. Another three and out for the Chiefs ended the first quarter, as did one for the Steelers to bring out Harry Newsom to kick away from the 42-yard line. Back to field it was the Chiefs' Garcia Lane. He fielded the ball at the nine and got popped by a sea of white jerseys and coughed up the pill. The Steelers recovered and were set up at the Kansas City
2: 14-yard line. What happened here, Tony? Great play by the special teams, and they really set up the, the offense in prime pos- field position at the 14-yard line. It was, it was a big break after, t- after bouncing back from a 7 nothing deficit to take a 10-7 lead. They have a, re- a really great chance of taking control of this game at this point. But they could
1: not really advance the ball into the end zone, though. Here comes Gary Anderson once again. It's a 31-yarder to increase the black and gold lead to 13-7. to Here's the problem. The home team's like, man, we've got the World Series champs here. We've got a lot of pride. We're not going to go away. On a third and five from the 45-yard line, Bill Kenny found Jeff Smith, who was being covered and covered well by Mike Merriweather, but found a way to beat him. And the Nebraska rookie pinballed into the end zone for a 45-yard touchdown for his first NFL score. Both teams then traded three and outs. Then the Chiefs kicking away to Lewis Lips couldn't contain the second year man as he did this.
2: I forgot all about this punt return. He went 71 yards up the left side and and just like that. It's 20 to 14, the good guys. I couldn't believe it. it was. Such, this was such a great return by him. And, and I thought I had all of Louis Lips punt returns memorized, but this one slipped my memory, but it was a thing of beauty. And he was one of the best all-around weapons for his day. He was really a special player.
1: He got a critical block from the second-year man from Notre Dame, Chris Brown, on that play, and he was off and running. I'm going to dare and say this. I'm really thinking that Louis Lips was the best punt returner in Pittsburgh Steelers history and that includes Antonio Brown
2: you won't get an argument from me he's, he's probably my favorite Steeler of all time so in this little period of his career when he first started out he was an all-pro and had he not been besieged by injuries he might have went on to be one of the all-time greats
1: I always have that argument it's really tough to say who was the best number 83 and I don't even want to have that argument because <laughs> right. I love Lewis Lips and Heath Miller equally. And it's really hard to do, but it's funny when he would catch a football in three river stadium, you would just hear Lou. Yeah. And when Heath Miller first caught balls, you would swear they were saying Lou, but it turned into (laughs) Heath, but he sounded like Lou. And I think some of them were doing that on purpose. It was awesome. That's a great tribute. If you're getting compared to such a great player in Lewis lips, a great stealer. So After Anderson converted the extra point, the Steelers had a lead 20-14 to as the first half was winding down. Again, the Pittsburgh defense stifled the Chiefs to force another punt by Jim Arnold. With 3.50 left in the second, the Steelers set up shop at their own 20-yard line. And we're going to find out what happened at that 20-yard line and beyond for the rest of the game when we come back right after this at LuckyLandSlots.com,
0: available to players in the U.S. excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.
1: Welcome back to the Steelers Retro Show. My name is Brian Anthony Davis. That other voice that you hear is an all-time great from behindthestillcurtain.com. Ten-plus year veteran Tony DeFeo.
2: What's going on, my man? I am having such a great time chronicling this game with you. This is this has been a blast to talk about. And here's something so very interesting that
1: I want to talk about that I did not even put in my notes for this game. The Steelers had a great special teams day here. They had a fantastic time with Gary Anderson going nuts, kicking. You had Lewis Lips that just took the 71
2: yarder. Who was their coach? The man himself, the emperor, Chuck Knoll. He was the special teams coach that year.
1: And it was really cool because you saw him coaching. Right On the sidelines, he was coaching. This guy, four Super Bowls, he was a legend. He wasn't one to just delegate and let things go. One of his great years was 1989, and I love watching that season. I love watching the seasons, especially even the year before 1984, where you had teams that had no business going as far as they did in the playoffs, and Chuck Knoll was constantly teaching you know, not the warm and fuzzy guy that you would expect out of anybody. It was, you know, we had more warm and fuzzy guys. I mean, I know it'd be hard to say that Bill Cowher and Mike Tomlin are warm and fuzzy guys, but they they really are compared right. to that of the emperor, Charles Henry Knoll, Tony.
2: Chuck Noble always said that his favorite part of coaching was the doing. Even after a Super Bowl win, he would just feel deflated. He would just feel lost and, and depressed because he just loved to teach and he loved to coach and he loved to be hands-on and that's a side of him that I think few people realize about him they, they, they think of him as a stoic guy with the uh, with the grimace and, and the sneer if his players made a mistake but no he was really passionate about his job man you just said grimace now I'm thinking about McDonald's that's
1: really <laughs> that's really funny all right let's go back to this game after getting a break when an apparent fumble By Lewis Lips was rolled incomplete and Woodley went deep to Ouija Thompson for a 42 yard gain down to the 30. Number 19 drilled a 24 yarder to Lips down to the two yard line. Then comes Walter Abercrombie, a favorite of yours and mine. Not one of the all time greats, but still, I mean, you know, top 15 all time in Pittsburgh Steelers rushing. He caps off the drive with a score for his fifth touchdown in six games. With 49 seconds left in the half. So there's a lot to talk about from this last paragraph. Ouija Thompson, number 87. That was a big dude from Florida State, Tony.
2: Uh, he was. In, in his first couple of years, he really showed a lot of promise. He was a, a fourth-round pick out of Florida. And, uh, Florida, Florida, Florida State. Florida State. Florida State, yeah, yeah. Ronnie Lott paid him one of the ultimate compliments. That 84 victory that they had in, in, at Candlestick, he said that Weegee Thompson that entire day blocked him and blocked him. Imagine that somebody like Ronnie Lott remembering Weegee Thompson many years later. I thought that was pretty interesting. He went six, five.
1: He was a physical guy. This was only a second catch of 1985 in his second season, but it was really interesting to see, is he going to be a guy that you remember as an all time great? No, no, he's not going to make, he's probably not going to make your third team at wide receiver, not make your fourth team, but right. But he was one of those guys, one of those anonymous guys that came up big. One of the reasons we remember Ouija because he was a six five guy and he was one of those players that he had a cool name. Ouija Thompson would probably be a star in 2021, but back then, I don't even know if they knew what exactly to do with him, but a 42 yarder on this day set the Steelers up in good field position to get that touchdown from Abercrombie. What was the problem with Walter Abercrombie, Tony? Because he's a guy that was a number one pick in 1982 out of Baylor. He shared the backfield with Frank Pollard out of Baylor. He never had that thousand yard season, but he was very valuable to this team. I think those guys might be the best platoon in Pittsburgh Steelers history next to a Franco Harris and a Rocky Plyer together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, cause the talent was evident. Like you would see it every now and then it would, he would break out and have a great game or, or make a great run. And you're like, man, you know, this, this is the first round pick from 1982. You, you could see the, the, the talent, but he just never quite put it all together. I personally think first of all, he had a tough act to follow on Franco Harris offense flowed through Franco in the seventies in and he was a fullback back then fullbacks. You could be the primary back in any in, in offense. Whereas, Abercrombie was a tailback, and I think it was harder for the maybe Chuck Noll and the offense to try to devise game plans for him. The half is almost ready to end. Bill Kenny throws up a last gasp, almost a hail mary to end
1: the half. The legend, the Hall of Famer Donnie Shell pulls it in. That's it for the half. It's twenty-seven to fourteen at the break. To start the second half, the Steelers set up business at the twenty-nine, but had to punt the ball away. The Kansas City Chiefs still could do nothing whatsoever against the likes of Brian Hinkle on defense, Keith Willis as well. After only a 13-yard punt, yeah, only a 13-yarder, yeah. he shanked it. The Steelers, with plays by Lips, Stalworth, Woodley, Pollard, and Abercrombie, marched towards the touchdown zone. When the drive stopped at the 9, here comes South African Gary Anderson from Syracuse to convert again to make the score 30 to 14 with six minutes remaining in the third wow tony if they could convert these field goals to touchdowns this is a blow up of epic proportions
2: that's right i mean you take that pick six away And if they were more proficient with scoring, as you said, scoring touchdowns when they got down close, this would have been one of the all-time blowouts at Arrowhead Stadium.
1: So both teams traded punts again as the fourth quarter began. And we had a rare sighting. Daryl Sims, the number one pick, number 99, had a tackle on this day. It might have been one of his few in his career. And we also had the cameras showing a man up in the box with a headset on. He was the Steelers defensive coordinator. You might've heard of him. He was a former Minnesota quarterback.
2: His name was Tony Dungy. Yeah, a pretty good career as a head coach. He got his start with the Steelers. He was the youngest coordinator in the league, I think at that time, he was what, 28, 29 years old. And he went on to do pretty, pretty good for himself after this.
1: I loved seeing Tony Dungy in that capacity. Dungy's defense did show some cracks though on the series as the Chiefs marched down the field in less than two minutes. The seven-play drive culminated in a Jeff Smith 13-yarder from Kenny. So Jeff Smith, the rookie, had his second career touchdown against the Steelers. I don't even know if he had many more in his career, Tony. But on this day, Jeff Smith was pretty darn good. At 30-21, to 21, the game was far from over. On the next drive, the Steelers kept things alive with Rich Ehrenberg from Colgate making a gorgeous 34-yard grab and another first down to get progress down to the three-yard line. So they went to Ehrenberg a lot on this drive. But the Chiefs stiffened, and Anderson came out again, and Gary converted again, this time from 36 yards for a 33-21 lead in this ball game. Tony. After a 37-yard return by Garcia Lane, the Chiefs looked like they could get back in the game, but another three and out forced a punt. That defense was smoking like we said they were the number one defense they look good on this day Tony
2: they did they were dominant the Chiefs had a hard time running the ball all day and one of those things that we I can't I think a lot of people forget about how good they were on defense because they didn't have those perennial all pros they remember from the 70s but this defense was tough with six minutes left the Steelers had a chance to wrap things up it looked like they could
1: when Woodley launched a ball to Stallworth and this was not your normal John Stallworth catch this was his buddy Lynn Swan. That's what it looked like here.
2: What happened on this play, Tony? Well, he initially went up with the defender to, to try to catch the ball and it was tipped. And then, and then as he was going down, he he, he had the great a great presence of mind. This is a great presence of mind to tip it with his right hand and keep it alive. And as he's sliding on his back, he, he caught the ball. It was actually a thing of beauty. i prize this play doesn't get talked about more. It's one of the greatest catches in franchise history.
1: That 42 yard gain was absolutely incredible. 19 to 82. At the two-minute warning, number one came out again and kicked number five on the day. So going from twelve for twenty to seventeen to twenty-five is going to make your average a whole lot better at this point, Tony.
2: Absolutely. It's too bad fantasy football wasn't as popular back then, or I don't even know if it existed back then. But that would have been a great day for anybody who had Gary Anderson on your fantasy team. He had a. It was a great bounce-back game for him after struggling. With the Steelers now leading 36 to 21, they were in firm control.
1: In a last gasp attempt for some points, Kenny sprayed the ball around down the field. And with 18 seconds left, the Chiefs scored when number nine connected with Anthony Hancock for a meaningless 13 yard score. A woman on a horse named Warpoint galloped out on the field in a fruitless and hopeless celebration. <laughs> I thought that was quite bizarre, Tony.
2: It was, because back then, there wasn't a two-point conversion. So yeah, it was a two-score game with seconds left. There was no chance that the Chiefs were going to come back. It was a weird thing to see back then. But let's bring out the horse anyways. All right. (laughs) The Steelers evened their record to 5-5 and
1: as the clock struck triple zeros. It wasn't a great rest of the season as the Steelers did not win the division, did not go to the playoffs. Abercrombie had 20 carries for 67 yards and a touchdown Pollard 17 for 53 Rich Ehrenberg Tony four for 20 on the ground so he was averaging five yards per carry and he was two for 50 in the air not a lot of people realize how valuable he was in the mid 80s number 24 from Colgate Tony Defio
2: he was in a lot of ways He was kind of like a precursor to Merrill Hodge he really was that kind of good all-around player who could catch the ball in the backfield. I, I think he, he was a kickoff returner too. He was a promising young guy from that 84 draft class. And there were a lot of really promising young players on this team at this time in the mid-80s. And it looked like the rest of the decade would be uh, really good. So Tony, I've left a guy off the list here for stats. So I'm going to
1: throw his stats out here, but I'm not going to say who it is because I have a feeling that this is your game ball for the day. This is a guy who never won a Super Bowl MVP, but really should have. Seven catches for 126 yards
2: on the day. Am I correct, Tony? It's the man, John Starworth, the old warhorse, the guy who was the comeback player of the year the year before. This guy was, had such a phenomenal career. When he would retire, he retired as the all-time greatest receiver as far as stats in, in, in franchise history, and he was still going strong in the mid-'80s, and it was, it was a great thing to see. So, Tony, this team had some firepower at wide receiver.
1: They had a really good running game. They had a very good offensive line. The defense was number one in the league. So my question to you is, if the Steelers had Dan Marino or a Ben Roethlisberger in 1985, this would have been a different story, wouldn't it have been?
2: Yeah, I mean, the more I watch these games, the more I learn about these mid-80s Steelers team, and you see the roster and you see how much promises there guys like you know that defense you mentioned merriweather brian hinkle uh keith willis uh, you know it was such a, a fantastic young defense and of course they had the firepower on offense you mentioned all the names uh, uh starworth and lips and and they had a, a solid running game they like to run the ball yeah i mean that missing that missing link apparently that x factor was a really really good quarterback if you get another franchise caliber quarterback dan marino in there it might have been a completely different story in, for the steelers in the 80s But it will never be, and
1: this remains the sad decade of the last five, six decades. But I will say this, Tony Defeo, still one of my favorites, and I believe it's yours as well.
2: It absolutely is. I mean, this is where it all started for both of us. I mean, I started following them, and really on a regular basis in 1980, after that last Super Bowl against the Rams, that's when I really started following them. This is where it all started, and it made me appreciate the 90s even more, the fact that they kind of had to struggle through some rough years in the 80s even though it wasn't all that bad i mean they still made the playoffs four times and they were a game away from the super bowl again so it was a fun decade to to be a fan and a little kid too it was we will always go back to the 70s
1: we'll always go back to the 90s the 2000s but on the retro show the 80s is always fair game and we go back there a lot because these memories are so much fun you and i we were 13 years old at the time and it feels good to hearken back to those days. So for Tony Deffio, my name is Brian Anthony Davis from BehindTheStillCurtain.com. Catch us here every single week as we go back in time and relive another dandy from the Pittsburgh Steelers. So as Huey Lewis in the news would say from that very year when that movie came out about a DeLorean and going back in time, you could take us away. We don't mind.